You are listening to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Mark Matusek, author of the recent book, Mother of the Unseen World, The Mystery of Mother Mira. He is the author of two acclaimed memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and The Boy He Left Behind, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living, and Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life. A former editor at Interview Magazine, he is a featured blogger for PsychologyToday.com and HuffPost, and has contributed work to many well-known periodicals. We'll get started with that show after a short musical break. Musical interludes on this show are from a CD called Baroque Cello Illuminations, Angela East and Ruth Alford, cellists, and Howard Beach on harpsichord. This piece by Francois Couperin is called Air de Diable. is The Mystical Positivist, a radio show dedicated to the application of reason in the pursuit of spiritual practice and development. It consists of commentary, book reviews, interviews, and discussion in and around the local and larger spiritual community. The thesis of the show is that rationality is in no way the antithesis of deep mystical experience. In fact, we assert that it is a necessary ally. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt, director of Tayu Meditation Center and co-founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol. Great to be here. This week on The Mystical Positivist, Rob and I speak by telephone with Mark Matusek, author of the recent book, Mother of the Unseen World, The Mystery of Mother Mira. He is the author of two acclaimed memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and The Boy He Left Behind, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living, and Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life. A former editor at Interview Magazine, he is a featured blogger for PsychologyToday.com and HuffPost, and has contributed to The New Yorker, O, The Oprah Magazine, Harper's Bazaar, Yoga Journal, Tricycle, The Buddhist Review, and The Saturday Evening Post, among other publications. Internationally, he offers courses in creativity and spiritual growth based on his book, Writing to Awaken, A Journey of Truth, Transformation, and Self-Discovery. 
He is the founding member of V-Men, an organization devoted to ending violence against women and girls, and lives in East Hampton, New York. Mark Matusek, welcome to The Mystical Positivist. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, and I'm going to begin with uh, a question we ask uh, uh, all of our first-time interviewees on this show, and that is to um, invite you to cast your memory back to childhood and youth and uh, ask you if you can identify any particular uh, experiences uh, during that early period of your life that, upon later reflection, um, you could say, um, oh, that prefigured, uh, that was a harbinger of the direction my life would take, relevant, of course, to this Mother uh, Mira book, but also some of the other work that you've done. Actually, I can. Uh, I must have been about six or seven. I can't say exactly, but I went out one night after dinner to dump the trash. That was my chore. And I picked up the lid of the trash can, and there was a dead bird in there. I think it was a blue jay. Uh, And I stood there just staring at its body. And I had this real thought of, was this the bird, or is the bird the thing that got away, that's no longer there? And it was my first thought that there was something, there might be something that I didn't see, uh, a spiritual quality, although I didn't call it that. I had no religion in my childhood or any sort of spiritual background to speak of. But um, that, that was it. I mean, that was, and, and when I later started to write about morta- the relationship between mortality and spiritual awakening, that that it was almost like a totemic experience for me. It was a archetypal kind of experience for me because it was the first time I really thought. I, first of all, it was the first time I think I thought thought about death consciously. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was yeah, that was a that was a little wake up call. How old were you? I was I was a six or seven. I can't say exactly. I think I I, I can't be much more than first or second grade. Sure. So, um, so you you mentioned that uh, it, it sounds like your your family didn't have a religious uh, background to inculcate you in, and uh, and so you didn't have that arena of uh, explanation for the ph- phenomenon of death. If anything, what 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 did you have? I mean, what what kind of uh, inquiry? How did you frame the inquiry as this young kid, and then later as you as you grew older? I think that that's always been my inquiry since then. I had a slight a momentary diversion into Judaism because I my Orthodox Russian grandfather who insisted that I be bar mitzvah even though we never spent a day in in temple. <laughs> and so it was a charade. And so I went through this bar mitzvah thing. It meant absolutely nothing to me. Hmm. But I think the question for me always has been that existential question am i this thing by this body or am i the consciousness in the body that animates it that that's invisible and that came to be you know I, then I, I started doing meditation in my late 20s and and investigating eastern philosophy and i realized there was a whole world there that this inquiry that had always bothered me uh was was there i was part of a tribe of people mm-hmm. a tribe of seekers uh, because, you know, seekers, we, we sort of ask too many questions. <laughs> We're too intense. We, you know, things really seem urgent to seekers. And I was that kind of a kid. So did, did you uh, 
become attracted to any particular traditions? Were you looking at a lot of different traditions and sort of partaking of practices like meditation practices? Um, you know, how did that how did that uh, kind of unfold for you? Yeah, I, I mean, I, the first thing I ever did was learned the Saint Francis prayer. Hmm. Uh, doing reading a book by a uh, uh, wonderful yoga Indian yoga teacher, uh, meditation teacher named Eknath Iswaran. And that was the first thing that really impressed me. And I did the, the practice was to say the St. Francis prayer and just be mindful of the words and feel the uh, feel your body and sense the space between the words. It was it, it was wonderful. And um, so then from there I got into mindfulness meditation and I I was most attracted to Vipassana, uh, insight meditation. I spent time up at the, in Barrie, Massachusetts, at the Insight Meditation Society, uh, and. I live in New York, so it, it just so happens that many of the really terrific American Buddhist teachers live here, and like Sharon Salzberg, and so I feel close. I felt close to that tradition uh, for a long time, but I've never really been a, a joiner, so I'm, I, I'm not. I'm not a card-carrying Buddhist by any means. Yeah, I, I think I'm. What's interesting is uh, you know some people join communities for various reasons. Some people are really intense practitioners and some people kind of go out and explore on their own and, and as I said partake of different offerings from different communities and so I get the impression that when you say you weren't a joiner I'm, I'm just kind of interested in uh, how you see that now you know was that um, was that a kind of just an essential part of uh, your life stream is that a was that a uh, resistance to a certain something or a, you know how do you see it now I see it as a, a temperament. You know, they, I think we all have a spiritual temperament, uh, and but I and and mine is to um, be kind of inward uh, and not really part of any community or group. But the the thing is that I had a, a almost a backwards spiritual development because the first thing that happened to me when I actually went out was I was on my way to India for three months to really practice and was that I met Mother Mira, and I had no idea who she was beforehand, but I was suddenly confronted with this extraordinary being. And that's actually how I had, you know, I feel like that was really my uh, first teaching, although it didn't came, it came in silence because she teaches in silence, but um, that was extraordinary for me. And then I, and I kind of had to circle back and figure out what, what, what the hell happened <laughs> because... It was it was pretty intense. Well, that I, I mean, you you relate uh, the beginning of the book, of course. Um, Mother of the unseen world begins with your uh, relating this experience, but but I'm wondering how it is. I mean, you you say that you were on your way to India to meditate for three months. There must have been some something, some motivating uh, uh, factor or desire or um, uh, something that that led you in that direction in the first place. Absolutely. And, well, what, and, what happened was for me is that I was in New York in the early 80s when the AIDS epidemic hit. Mm -hmm. So all of my friends, and I had many friends starting to get sick, and I was really nervous about getting sick myself. And that was my big wake-up call when I was 28, and I quit my job. I was, you know, had this great, supposedly great job that I wasn't, in, I wasn't happy at, but um, I quit, and that's when I went to, uh, I went, I met Mother Mira, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, on my way to India with. Um, with somebody named Andrew Harvey, who 
Who we've actually buddy. interviewed on this show. I love well, he's my old buddy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so anyway, um so you just you just happened to connect with him and then uh that's how you ended up stopping in Germany on the way to India and having this experience with Mother Mira. Is that right? Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Got it. Well maybe maybe it'd be good just uh, we can get into the book now that um uh, so Mother of the Unseen World describes the story of Mother Mira. Uh, maybe you could just kind of start by framing for listeners who who she is, and, uh, uh, and then we can get into maybe some of the nuances of uh, um, what it means to be an avatar. Well, sure. I mean, I, I, I certainly don't feel... Um, yeah, I don't feel like I can talk, speak to that with any personal experience. But Mother Mira... Uh, is a 57-year-old woman who was born in South India. She was uh, a farmer's daughter, very poor. And she, from the time she was very young, she started having experiences that were out of the ordinary. She'd, her body would go cold. They'd think that she was dying, and she, then she'd come back, and, and, and she was fine. Uh, she was able to meet people at a distance through dream or in, in vision, she had extraordinary abilities, and in India, they are open to this. I mean, they, they believe that the gods, you know, gods, well, God walks the streets, and God is among us. And so they, instead of putting her on, you know, anti-psychotic pills, as like she would have been in this country, they cultivated it. And she met someone um, who she was working for as a, as a maid in his house, and he noticed how extraordinary she was. And... He one thing led to another, and she finally told him about her experiences. Um, and and, and refresh our refresh our memory about how old she was when when you know this um, uh, her first disciple, I suppose, in one sense. Um, how, how old was was Mother Mira at that time? It's in the book. Yeah, but. Mr. Reddy. I think she went to work for Mr. Reddy, who they lived in the big house next door. Her family lived in right. the little hut next door. Right. I. I believe it was when she was about nine, mm-hmm. um, and he at the time was living on the Aurobindo ashram in Pondicherry and was forced to come home because the head of the estate had died, and the first thing he saw was Mother Mira, and he was so taken aback by her, and eventually she told him about her experiences uh, on inner planes, uh, receiving teachings from Aurobindo and Sweet Mother, all kinds of really profound visionary experiences that she had never told to anybody before. And Mr. Reddy became her guardian, and the first time she gave darshan, which is her blessing, she was, I believe, 13, and it just happened uh, spontaneously. Someone came, she, while she was sitting in meditation, someone came and sat in front of her, and she reached out, she touched the sides of the person's head and held it, uh, and then the person leaned back and looked into her eyes, and she just stared into the person's eyes for you know, a minute or so, uh, and then lowered her eyes, and it was it was over. And that's the exact same form of darshan that she gives today. Uh, it's 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 everything is done in silence. So we we should point out to listeners that um, that darshan is is uh, a, a Sanskrit derived word which refers to see, sight or seeing, I believe, and and so that's. Um, that's what where that comes from, and often used by in a number of uh, you know teachers from from various Indian traditions. But but Mother Mira's uh, has has this quality of um, 
nothing but silence, I guess, uh, among other things, right? Yeah, yeah. She, she doesn't... Uh, I mean, she does speak as a, as a person. She does speak, but what but, she does publicly is, is all in silence. Mm-hmm. And that's the power of it. That, that's the reason... The first thing that I noticed when we walked into her house... Um, and I wasn't, I didn't even, I knew nothing about who she was. Andrew hadn't told me anything. But we walked into her house, and this silence was just pulsating. I, I can't describe it. It was just pulsating. It was like bur- like buzzing, like bees in your ears. Mm-hmm. And I looked over at Andrew. I thought maybe I, you know, I, we had gotten on a, we had been on a flight. I thought maybe I had, and he just smiled and, and nodded his head. And then I walked upstairs, and I saw her for the first time. And that was, that was really a life-changing moment. So, how, I, I guess I'm interested in understanding how, how did you, how how was that life changing? What 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 um, what shifted in you in that experience? When I, I well I walked I, I sort of went, went upstairs after Andrew and I saw her and she was sitting in the chair. She was very small, very small. She was maybe five feet five feet tall, sitting in a chair, dark, quite beautiful at that time. She was young. She was, um, I think she was about 25 at the time. And there were only about 15 people in the room, and uh, this a child was kneeling in front of her. And then, um, I, when the first time I saw her, I, it's like, I felt like she was doing something unlike anything I'd seen before. I don't know how else to describe it. It was like it, it was. It felt holy. It felt so beautiful, and she, her stillness and the concentration and the care, and it was just extraordinary. And also, I'd, I've come from the West. I'd, I'd never seen somebody kneel in front of someone before, so that was the whole thing was was weird. Anyway, I sat down and I shut my eyes, and I went into a a real vision. It was the first first thing like that ever happened in my life. Um, she was in my inner vision. She was floating around. It was the strangest thing. Uh, and then I went up uh, and had my own darshan with her, and I didn't feel anything. <laughs> that was so interesting, and that's. One of the paradoxes for me with, of being with her is I feel much more when she's not there than I do when she's there. Mm. It's, it's very, or when we're you know, during darshan as opposed to when I go back to my seat. It's very and, interesting. And, and, and in the book, I think it's significant that you describe that, that first vision that you, uh, as it wasn't uh, all sweetness and light. There were... There, there were terrifying no. aspects of it as well that uh, no she had she had she was like a bird of prey it's like she was bouncing around and she was like a bird of prey in my inner vision and she, and she was kind of tearing away at my my in my innards and then it got when i went to sleep that night that's when it really got strange because i slept for some i don't know something like 14 hours and she, in my dream she was with me all through my dreams doing these really strange things and then I woke up and I started to cry, and I cried. Really, I just I kind of bawled like a baby. I didn't remember ever crying like that before, and it went on and on and on. And afterwards, I felt like something really deep had been healed in me, but I had no idea what was going on. It was just all happening without any of my agency. Hmm. So, so in other words, I, I guess uh, one. Uh, to summarize, at least one aspect uh, of your experience is that you, um, and I think you relate this um, as being true in different ways for, for other people um, uh, encountering uh, Mother Mira, is that you had, you had no sense of expectation. 
you didn't know you, you know, it's like it's, n- it's not like you went there looking for healing it's not like you went there looking for knowledge or enlightenment it's not like you went there with any kind of any agenda at all is that right that's that's completely right i didn't know anything about her Andrew mm-hmm. said she was an old friend of his. I thought we were going to visit an old friend. Mm-hmm. He didn't want me to have any expectation. I, uh, that I must see. be why he didn't say anything. But uh, So I, I didn't, and I'm glad I didn't, because, you know, what the mind does, I would have created a big story in my head. I'm going to see a holy woman, and then I, mm-hmm. you know, then perhaps nothing would have happened. I don't know. Yeah, or, or something different, at least. Or, yeah, of course. Yeah. Something always happens, but yes, yeah, something different. <laughs> something always happens, you know, whether nothing happens in our... Or not. Trying, the, when the mind gets in there and starts trying to control it or exaggerate mm-hmm. it or make a story mm-hmm. out of it, right. it, it, it uh, bastardizes the experience. Well, that actually invites me to ask a little further about your understanding of, of experiences in general in, in spiritual practice. Because, um, you know, I think... Uh, it's it's very very common. Goodness knows I've um, I was sort of, sort of uh, um, a virgin, a spiritual virgin when I met my teacher, but um, so I didn't have a lot of. Uh, I mean, I'd been raised Roman Catholic, and I had that set of expectations, which I'd sort of pushed aside as, uh, as a young man, but. Um, I didn't really understand how differently spiritual um, practice and experience might be configured in, uh, when coming from different cultures. And so I think when a lot of Westerners uh, encounter the spiritual teachers and and uh, uh, Sanghas and groups uh, from India or from Asia more generally, there's there's uh, remarkably enough there's there's a whole set of projections that happen really really quickly and I think nowadays it's it, it's different you know the, I'm talking about in the 70s um, it still happens <laughs> well uh, it's uh, no it happened but I think it happens more now is 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 kind of my point because there's a lot more fami- familiarity in the culture I mean you know people grow up knowing about you know this teacher or that teacher whether whether they configure them to be uh, phony baloney um or 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 uh fakes or whatever it happens to be um there's all kinds of projections and um i'm wondering i mean you 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 do discuss in the book um some of the um some of the ways in which you responded to this early encounter uh, with Mother Mira. But I'm wondering if you, if you see other people now having... Ex- I mean, you, and then you relate later in the book all these... Um, uh, uh, some of her closer disciples, longer-term uh, disciples, their set of experiences, and they're quite different. You know, yeah. that's a notable feature. I think that's probably true for people in almost any spiritual community that the experience is different but i'm wondering if if you think that that mother uh, having seen other other groups now do you think this is uh there's something particular about mother mira's the community of people around her and who um um used darshan with her etc not no i actually think they're a they're a cross-section of humanity 
Um, and uh, everyone has his or her own experience, as you said, it, it, which is in every tradition, people are always having their own experiences. But with Mother Mira, it's particularly um, I, subjective, I guess, is the word I would use, because there's no group, there's no philosophy, there's no dogma, there are no rules. People aren't getting together to talk about it, or, or the, you know, the, there's no... It's not like in church where everyone is standing up at the same time and reading the same. There's no none of that. So you're on your own, and that's actually one of the more rigorous parts of uh, being inspired by someone like this because it really throws you back on your own uh, resources, and she doesn't want to take your power away. And that's why I, I admire her so much and probably why I still love her so much after all these years because if she were different, I would, I would have... I would have run away, but um, it's true that people have violently different experiences. Some people have blissful experiences. Uh, most people have disturbing and or confusing or um, kind of catalytic experiences. So if you are somebody who you know has a lot of shame, your shame is going to come up. I spoke to a woman once who felt when she went in front of Mother Mia like her, she was covered with... Uh, you know, and, and that that's what Mother was seeing. I mean, so people have their own healing experience, and, and the way I see it is that it's really impersonal. She's an energy, and that energy acts on the energy that each of us is uh, in a completely, um, uh, it's not personal, but in a completely singular way. And um, that's, you know, that that's what I find fascinating about it. The thing about spiritual experiences, and of course you, 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 you know this, is that they don't matter. And trying to, valuing them or trying to hold on to them or giving them undue importance or any of it is, is a real temptation for the spiritual ego, but it's, it's actually the, the, the kiss of death. I mean, they're not the point at all, uh, except as, insofar as they transform your awareness of what's possible. If, had these things not happened to me, I wouldn't believe them. I mean, I'm a very skeptical kind of person. I'm not a devout anything, but it happened. I couldn't deny it, so I'm grateful for that. I'm deeply grateful to whatever the power is that we are for, for revealing that to me. Well, but trying to hold on to the experience or mm -hmm. trying to replicate the experience, that's, that's where a lot of us get caught. And, and Mother discourages that always. She says, don't overvalue you know, experiences or powers mm -hmm. or any of those kinds of things. Well, one of the, I mean, uh, I'm glad you, uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, devotion and, um, and, or, or, and that's an important thing in the, mentioned in the book. In fact, you've got a sort of, sort of in the middle of the book, you have a list of some of the, uh, uh, the words that, you know, the, the advice, I guess, that, that mother offers. And one of the, one of the topics is uh, devotion. And and she sees that. Of course, this is devotion. I guess to. Um, she, in fact, you you write uh, devotion is the royal path to enlightenment, according to Mother Mira. She tells us that quote: "If you have devotion, you'll get everything." Unquote. And she, then she goes on, or you go on to say, "True devotion in spiritual life is extremely rare." However, so um, so I think this is an interesting. Uh, conundrum in a sense because um, how does 
I mean, we don't want to rely on experience. How do you have de- devotion without an object? Is that uh... well? That's one way to put it. But I'm I'm actually thinking more along the lines of devotion um, usually arises because we have some kind of experience or dire- a sense of direction um, emerges. And and with and it, I guess you're right about an object of of devotion. Right. And what what does that mean with someone who's who's not who's telling you not to go to gurus and teachers essentially? So, it is it is a wonderful paradox uh, because it invites you to look at your own longing to give yourself give your power away. I mean, it, and and the the fact that. You are really on your own, and this is a path of self-reliance. You know, the mother is teaching a path of self-reliance. And when she talks about devotion, she's not talking about devotion to her. She's talking about devotion to God. Right, yeah, no, I, I should yeah. have made that and, clear. Uh, yeah, and you, you, sorry, you mentioned in the book. Um, yeah, devotion is, is, is real devotion is rare, and when you see it, you realize how rare it is. So, so you you mentioned uh, at a point just on the subject of devotion that uh, she functioned in an interesting way that for you, when you most wanted a certain something from her that might be clinging, she wouldn't give it. No. And and no. When you, and when you would let that go, all of a sudden she's very open. Yes. Yeah. I've had I've had many really real big lessons in this area where. My ego was getting in the way or my insecurity was getting in the way. I wanted something from her. And the more you want it coming from that, that hungry ghost place, the less she will she, she gives. And um, I don't know if you want to hear an anecdote about writing the book. Of this course. Was, yeah, go ahead. This was one of, the, one of the hardest lessons of my whole life is that I w- was writing this book about her. She had agreed. She had given me permission to do so. I had a contract. I had a deadline. I spoke to her on the phone, and, and such as once, so much as you speak, you know, and said, uh, "Mother, I'll be coming to Germany, uh, coming to India while you're there. I hope that you will talk to me." Yes, yes, yes. You know, like she goes. Anyway, I get to India. I fly halfway around the world. I come to this her, her orphanage that she started, their orphanage school, and I'm going up the stairs, and she's coming down the stairs, and she didn't look at me. <laughs> She didn't, literally did not look at me. I, I, was, I was in shock. So I looked at my partner. I was like, what just happened? She didn't look at me for the first three days that I was there. On the, something like the fourth day, I went and, and said, you know, Mother, I hope we're going to speak while you're here. I'm, I, I need to, you know, yes, yes. And she, was, she, was heard, and she, she basically blew me off. And then seven days into it, I'm still waiting to speak to her, and I'm in the volunteer office, and the guy we're working for uh, comes in and says, well, Mother's leaving today. (laughs) I said, what do you mean she's leaving? I haven't even talked to her. He says she's leaving. So then I wrote her a note, a a frantic note saying, I'm so sorry, I really needed to talk to you, sent it to her through him. He came back with the note. She wouldn't take it. So I, it was just—it was as bad as it could be. I was going crazy. As my ego, I was so hurt. I, I uh, anyway, uh, it was perfect because I had to have a complete meltdown, and, which I did after she left. And then a few months later, and I went to Talheim, and I wasn't even going to ask to see her. I just kind of let it go, and she asked to see me. So you know, you just don't know how people in uh, you know in that level in a place of consciousness. Are going to respond to you because it's not—they're not responding from personality; they're responding from spirit. 
Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's a different way of being and a different way of teaching. And so it always kind of takes me aback when it, when it happens because your mind is flipping out and saying, what do you mean? We have a plan. Right. Well, you know, that, that's an interesting hallmark, um, uh, I, I experienced that with my own uh, spiritual teacher, Rob, and I both uh, worked with this gentleman. And had, you know, in in his best manifestations of skillful means, it worked exactly like that. I just, mm-hmm. you know, what mm-hmm. what I and the way forward was always a way of uh, surrender my expectations or surrender my um, uh, identifications with what how things should be or what I should get. But the a hundred percent. What I, and so I wanted to, you know that brings up an interesting question for me because having worked with a teacher who had some of that kind of uh, capacity, I could recognize some of that in uh, the descriptions of uh, Mother Mira working with people. But there's this distinction that's drawn out a, n- a number of times in the book of the avatar versus the guru versus the teacher and. I'm wondering if you could maybe just lay out how you understand those terms, and maybe we can go a little deeper into um, what, what they might mean. Well, sure. I mean, an avatar, uh, according to you know, in Hindu uh, theology, and, and in, in the same, uh, the idea of the avatar goes across traditions, um, is a manifestation of the divine that, if you were going to use up, down, right, sort of descends. Uh, into human form. So they're not descending, but they're manifesting as divine beings who know who they are before they come here. They come for a reason. And uh, they, and, and and they, they have a human here. body. And they have a human body, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, and so that's the, what they believe about Avatar. Uh, and uh, a guru, obviously, is a, is a human who's worked very hard, practiced, 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 perfected, polished, cleared out, and freed themselves. And so gurus can be incredibly powerful and, and awake and clear. Um, and but there is a difference. They it has. They say there's a difference, and I can't even I can't begin to speak to that. I mean I, I don't know any. You know to me it's all it's all terminology that um, I'm agnostic about because I don't I don't completely understand it. My sense is that they're speaking metaphorically, and I think that. A lot of times it comes out as it's sounding like mythology because it's the language changes it into this kind of weird story. But that's not what's really happening. That story is the story we make up. And uh, so if there is such a thing as a as divine incarnation or, or an incarnation of a fully realized being, um, you know, I, th- I think it doesn't happen with a story. I think it's part of a, of a, of a bigger brighter, you know, uh, intelligence mm-hmm. that, that isn't operating at the, you know, at the level of our conceptual mind. So, you know, you start talking about it, and it just changes it. It changes it into, uh, into something else. Yeah, I think that when I look at some of the saints in India, like, a, like someone like Ramana Maharshi mm-hmm. had a trajectory, maybe not the same, but similar, you know, I think he was a kid, you know, and uh, maybe he was all of, uh, at most 16, and yeah. had the, 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 you know, suddenly went into a, um, uh, effectively a coma, and came out more or less fully realized, um, and his impact was, you know, is 
really it, it feels resonant to the impact that Mother Mira has on people and that the abiding quality is this deep, 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 deep peace. Mm. And yes. and and so it does it does phenomenologically, I mean it certainly there are these people who whatever the backstory is, there are these people who manifest and they don't seem to go through a trajectory of working through something to attain. Right. That's but, exactly right. But it's like the switch is turned at some point and suddenly uh, there's this fairly mature flourishing or uh, of, of a, a, a deep spiritual presence. Mother Mira has said that she is she has never changed. That she is was she was who she is now when she came into a body. That she knew why she was coming. She knew she was coming. She knows what her job is, um, and that it, there has never been any evolution of that of that kind. There's a personality. There's a body that ages and all of that. But that's what she has said. Uh, and and when you see the greats, when you see uh, Mir Baba, when you see uh, Amici, who you know, can sit there for 20 hours with people sobbing and saying, come up glowing like she's like she's just gotten up from a nap. It's you can or Ananda Ma, these great saints. There's no question they are in a, this is, they are their battery is charged at a different voltage. There's no question about it. So anyway, this to me is really exciting because it it shows what human beings can be. And, and so you asked about Avatar. I, I tend to think of Avatars as being the far end of the human spectrum. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that when people talk about divine, they're descending from the divine, it, it's language getting in the way. I think what it is, is they are, they're, um, they are that, ex, that extreme. They're like the hundredth monkey. Yeah. And, uh, I, mean, I, I like that, um, uh, I, I, that characterization. I'd say I, I tend to draw the same conclusion in 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 that i first it it i it's a more hopeful conclusion in the sense that there's possibility yeah but there's also something and i think your book does a nice job of this is there's there's uh, there's something quintessentially human about the story of mother mira i mean yes, this is yes, not this yes. is not someone who's not human even though the, the languaging that people have around it is she's not human you know, she's an yes, avatar, but, and but, I wish it weren't. To be but, honest, with but you. yeah, but but your book is a, I think, a successful in creating a, a portrait of a human being, and the the more compelling thing is that it's a human being who knows suffering too. Yes, yes and yes. Knows, knows pain. It's just that her relationship to pain is uh, uh, a relationship in a, a very different context than the ordinary human mind, and. Exactly. Again, I think that's a very revealing uh, portrait that you uh, paint. Uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm happy to hear you say that because that's what moves me so deeply about her, and is is her profound humanity. And she spends her days, you know, stuccoing walls and in gardening, and she's the earthiest. I mean, she's she's a farmer's daughter from 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 South India, so. That's who she is. She's very real, very embodied. And what's extraordinary is to see the difference between her in her you know, work-a-day life and then see her when she comes in uh, in her beautiful sari to give darshan. It's, it's, it's amazing. It's obviously the same person, but the, it's like a, the facet of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a jewel or something. You're just seeing this whole other facet of her. 
And it's a beautiful thing because it's seamless. There's never any, you've never met anyone less pretentious. You've never met anyone less self-interested. Someone once asked her, what do you see when you look in the mirror? She say, well, she says, what I see doesn't interest me. So it's like she's just, it's such a refresh, refreshing thing to be around someone who is so great and completely humble. I mean, there's humble is is uh, hardly even the word for it. So that's why I find her so inspiring because she's a human being who's who is who has this potential. And and so I I, I absolutely feel like we are on an evolutionary potential in that direction. If we if we don't uh, you know starve or you know incinerate ourselves first. Right. <laughs> on that cheery note, I'll ask, I'll ask to, you to uh, um, uh, sort of expand on this uh, this topic you were just you were just uh, describing because in the book you um, you note that um, in this workaday life that uh, that Mother Mira manifests, you know, there's this there's this feature of um, she can be sharp raise her voice in other words you know earlier in the conversation there was this you know idea that um uh, we have projections about spiritually about avatars or, or however you yeah, want to yeah. frame this thing that that there's there's nothing but um this unruffled calmness that is undisturbed and never and that never um, never is touched by human existence, and and you know I I also want to want want to throw in here something from the Gurdjieffian tradition, where 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 somebody like Gurdjieff was famous for being able to, in the middle of a harangue of uh, about whatever topic it happened to be, could turn. Um, Smile at someone else in the room without any without any trace of uh, uh, of a transition, except it was a fully different manifestation, and then go back to the har- harangue in the middle. So, in other words, right. uh, the point is he that was a rascal. Yeah, right. So, but but the point is that there's that there's a um, a capacity of non-identification right. that that some. Um, human beings can can manifest and so i think it's important and so i'll I'll invite you to say a little bit more about what you say in the book about about um this more um this this aspect of of how mother mira manifests in the world that doesn't fit into a projection about eternal calm peace yeah well I saw that in India. I, I had never seen it before. I had known her for 25 years, and I actually lived with her for different times, but I had never seen her temper before. And when I was going to India, someone said, be prepared. When mother's in India, she's like Kali sometimes, because to get anything done in India, you have to be. And she's, you know, people are suffering. These kids are in the street. She's trying to get the work done, and she gets frustrated with the workers and whatnot. She says, so don't be surprised if you see her angry. And then I saw it, and it it was extraordinary. But like you're saying, the the next minute she turned and she was smiling to somebody. There was no personal identification with it whatsoever. Um, But she can be very sharp, and 
once when I was reading to the little kindergarten kids, one of the couple of the kids were being naughty in the back, and a voice came to booming from overhead, "Stop that!" You know, and I look up and it was Mother Mira on the roof of the of the building, third three four building, with her hand on her hip, <laughs> looking at these kids. And then in the afternoon, the kids started cutting up again, and she was I don't know where she came from, but she was suddenly killed, and she took the kid by the ear and she took him and she brought him out back to talk to him, but. Yeah, no. There's she's 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 a real, you know, she's a real person with a real personality. Um, her personality itself, though, is quite enigmatic. And it's like she's she has hum, she's very human, but her personality is very enigmatic. I mean, she's un, you could say, unnaturally reserved. She's unnatural. There's an aura of mm, quiet around her. And sometimes you're sitting with her, and your mind just goes blank. She's so the presence, there's a presence there, but, um, that an energy that comes uh, with her. Uh, well, but there's also this other side of her, you know, that when she's trying to you know, put in the latrine in the in in, in, you know, in the uh, in the new school, the the, children, the orphanage, and somebody brings her the wrong latrine, they hear about it. So it's great. Well, that, thank you for um, uh, describing all that because. Um, one of the things that came up for me when I was reading that and then, again, hearing you just now describe some of these uh, uh, stories, and one of the things that, 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 I, that was important for me in, in my spiritual practice was to see my teacher deliberately not react to the invitations to be reactive from people around him, including me. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a that that's a that's a uh, you know in in um, various sp- spiritual traditions that might be seen as 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 a kind of me- mechanical reactivity um, or habitual reactivity, depending on language. And um, and I think that, that that's a that's a feature that that I've seen manifested, and that that I'm perhaps reading into your descriptions of, of uh, these manifestations of Mother, of mother Mira, that, um, that she doesn't have to um, react, and yet sometimes, apparently, it's called for, or at least she, you know, yeah. she, she feels that it's called for, obviously. Yes, it's only ever around work, only ever around work. It's never about her or her, you know, her feelings or anything like that. It's always about work, um, and it tends to happen in India. Uh, like I said, I, I mean, I lived with her once for three months in Germany. I never saw that, and I saw them working outside a lot. So, But um, people in Germany keep lists, and they get there on time, and they show up with the right let you know, light, bright latrine, and in India, it can be a fiasco. <laughs> yeah. And I felt for her; I, I really did. So doing, it seemed like somebody trying to cut through muck, you know, to make something happen. But um, she's doing it, and and but it's not fun. I mean, it's clearly not fun. I you know, I could see her in moments. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure she'd rather be sitting in the shade, or you know, having uh, the first time I saw her in India, she was it was almost a hundred degrees. She was out in the middle of a field with surrounded by men like 10 men and they were trying to plant a tree and they couldn't like get the tree in the ground and the mother took the shovel out of their hand and she planted her she got the shovel in herself but she's standing there with you know two cell phones in one hand and, and putting a shovel in the you know she's in the world 
Yeah, that, and that that is uh, uh, fascinating. But uh, one aspect that uh, speaks to, not, if not otherworldliness, then just a, a different state of being is you uh, you would describe her as like working twenty two hours a day. Yeah, you know, it's like she didn't, for all appearances, beside beyond the uh, darshan work and the actual work with the community uh it sounds like she was always in action yes always 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 in action uh when she's not giving darshan she's always building or doing you know something like that and people who travel with her say you know they can't keep up with her you know people 20 years younger can't keep up with her she's on three continents uh, in a month sometimes she's um uh, yeah, but it's not coming from her will to do this or her ego to do it. I mean, it's, it's coming. She's coming from a from. She's plugged into a bigger, a bigger uh, outlet, and and so, like I said, she, they, these people, these these great ones, just have abilities. Of, of they have a kind of stamina that is is, you know, it feels almost superhuman. But what it shows you is that what, what uh, humans are actually capable. Of you know at some at, at a higher uh, stage of evolution. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I mean, one of the things that um, is interesting to me, uh, um, I guess you you used the word paradox earlier, is that is that um, uh, Mr. Reddy, this this the, the first her first. Um, the first person who recognized what she was up about and up to and so forth uh, enabled her as a human being to have experiences that would lead to this manifestation like you're just like you've just been describing where she's on three continents and she's digging latrines and holes for trees and you know uh, and then doing darshan and then only getting a couple of hours of sleep a night or something like that you know it's like um uh um so there's so there's these remark there's these series of remarkable experiences that mr reddy could recognize early in her in mother mira's life as marking her in some way as being different and and yet there's also I mean, I think it's fair, and tell me if you agree, I think it's fair to also read a kind of human development of her ability to affect the world. Um, Absolutely, yeah. She was an uneducated, illiterate, dirt-poor uh, girl from you know, from this little village, and Mr. Reddy took her under his wing. Uh, and, um, you know, to see her... Hers talk about it. this. It was meant to be this way that he was. He's, he was her. He was meant to be her guardian, and she recognized him. He recognized her. They trusted one another, and he did. He facilitated her work in the world by, you know, it, I, I think she went to a girls' school for a short time. She probably learned table man. I mean, I don't know what she learned table manners or you know, she learned a bit of a bit of polish, I guess, a bit of uh, a bit of that, and. Um, uh, yeah, so so he 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 absolutely played an, a completely vital part. And speaking of devotion, I mean, nobody was more devoted than than he was to to this girl. And of course, he was reviled for it because she was 
12 when he came, 12 or 13 when he came back from the Aurobindo ashram. No, no, she was she was nine, but he was clearly smitten with her. And as she got a little older, and her people accused him of being in love with her, and it's pederasty, and they mm-hmm. he was practically run out of town. His his family rejected him. He gave away all of his wealth, and he devoted his life to her, and then got out of that little town and took her first to Pondicherry, and then eventually. Um, they landed in Germany. Just it, it started, She was on her way. They were on their way to uh, go to Canada, and he had a, a kidney, uh, some kidney serious thing. And they had to land the plane. When they landed the plane, they put him on dialysis. And the German government offered him uh, offered him dia- free dialysis. And he remained in Germany, much to his horror. And Mother Mira lived. That's how she came to Germany. But that, so that's the external story. But asked privately, she's when people said, "Why are you here?" She said, "It's the center of the wound." So she she lives five miles away from where Mengele, where where Hitler's horrible doctor did his terrible you know, thing. So, so, so that yeah, you mentioned that in the um, uh, book, and I, I thought that that was an interesting insight into a larger work that someone uh, as an avatar may be entrusted with because certainly for uh, people engaged in a spiritual path, even if one becomes a teacher, a guru, or a meditation teacher, or, or, or whatnot, even as we have personal revelations, it still seems to be in the context of more of a human-scale life. And to actually locate and be an energetic source for something on the scale of humanity as a whole is really a different kind of work. And that, and that, it, that struck me. And I, 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 I'm, it's an interesting uh, insight into what a larger work may entail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see it. You can see what the transformation in this area where she lives. And, you know, it was kind of a depressed, depressing little German hamlet. And her being there has just, the place has come to life, and so has the next village, and so has the oh, really? nearby town, and hmm. she's brought a lot of light there. She's brought a lot of, a lot of uh, consciousness there, a lot of people who are doing this work, and, and it's, it has changed the place. You can see it. So it's interesting. It's, it's, uh, it's not abstract. Do the old-timers recognize that? That's the thing, is the old-timers love her. The mayor, even this was many years ago, the mayor of Talheim brought his kid to her for healing, um, hmm. and they're, uh, they love her. They love her there. And it's the most, it's the most ordinary, you know, Catholic, little Catholic German town you ever saw. There's a Madonna on every, you know, on a lot of the corners in little glass cases. It's very Catholic. And well, so there she is. And, and when you look into the, um, spiritual history of that area it's been sacred to the divine mother it's though the the divine feminine has been worshiped there for for a thousand years well I, I definitely want to get into that in the second hour um, but I want, I want to hear a little bit more about this this um, feature that you just mentioned of healing it's because um, the word healing is related to making whole and it, so it isn't necessarily bodily healing only um, that can be facilitated. And you have some stories in the book about 
what healing means to different people. So can you talk about that in the last few minutes of our uh, uh, first hour here? Well, sure. Well, healing and curing are not the same thing, and a person can be have go through deep healing, physical, psych, even physical, psychological, certainly spiritual, and not be cured uh, of a disease. And, and Mother Mira has never, never, uh, never uh, called herself a healer. Uh, she's never invited people to bring anyone for healing. And I don't know what what kind of healing she offers. I mean, I. I'm extremely dubious of miracle stories, and um, I have not had any physical miracle stories myself. Uh, but um, I do also believe strongly in placebo, and that's not as a put down. But I, I think that placebo is real, you know. And I think that we, going to a holy person, we can heal ourselves. Um, now, I mean, on, on the quantum level, on the spiritual level. It's not she's not healing us. We're, we're healing ourselves. We're connected. But the way we look at it, um, you know, we are we, the placebo in our mind, the placebo effect in our body. We're able to actually heal ourselves through the power of faith. And that's why, that's why faith matters. If you don't believe it, if you don't believe in your doctor, it's the, your, your likelihood of responding goes way down. If you don't believe in your priest or your, whoever you're studying with, your likelihood of you having any kind of healing is you know equally compromised. Yeah, well, we need to take a a, a break at the hour, so I'm going to um, uh, turn you back to the um, uh, off air, so you can uh, chat with Rob a bit, and I'll do some announcements, and we'll get back into it. Sounds good. You are listening to the Mystical Positivist. I'm your host Stuart Goodnick. Joining me is co-host Rob Schmidt. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Mark Matusek, author of the recent book, Mother of the Unseen World, The Mystery of Mother Mira. He is the author of two acclaimed memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and The Boy He Left Behind, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living, and Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life. A former editor at Interview Magazine, he is a featured blogger for PsychologyToday.com and HuffPost and has contributed to many well-known periodicals. We'll return to our show after a short musical break. Musical interludes on this show are from a CD called Baroque Cello Illuminations, Angela East and Ruth Alford, cellists, and Howard Beach on harpsichord. This piece is uh, Rondo Amoroso from Sonata Opus 1A, number 3 in G major, a collaboration between Giuseppe Sammartini and Martin Berthaud.
Welcome back to The Mystical Positivist. I'm your host, Stuart Goodnick, joined by co-host Dr. Robert Schmidt, director of Taiyu Meditation Center and founder with myself and Jim Wilson of Mini Rivers Books and Tea in Sebastopol, California. This week on the show, Rob and I speak by telephone with Mark Matusek, author of the recent book, Mother of the Unseen World, The Mystery of Mother Mira. He's the author of two acclaimed memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and The Boy He Left Behind, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Art, Lessons in the Art of Living, and Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life. A former editor at Interview Magazine, he is a featured blogger for psychologytoday.com and HuffPost, and has contributed work to many well-known periodicals. So, Mark, in the first hour, uh, the subject towards the end uh, of the sacred feminine came up, and I wanted to uh, lead off this segment by asking you um, more about that, because one of the, uh, it, it, there are many people, guests that we've had on this show, who have talked about the importance of the feminine and the sacred feminine at this point in our, his, in our, our general history. Um, but I also wanted to find out if, if you have anything to say about Mother Mira's views, specifically about that. I'm sure you have your own views, um, but um, um, tell us about, tell, you know, distinguish, if you will, between those two, assuming there is something to distinguish, and, and if not, that would be interesting, too. Well, sure. I, I'll start with talking about what Mother has said herself about the Divine Feminine, and uh, of which she is an incarnation, um, and which, when whose her power she rep- is representing in her particular uh, in her particular way, uh, and, and she said that the the mother uh, is needed now uh, to because we're there are too many law rules, too many too many too much mental sort of left brained. Um, uh, uh, institutionalized um, ways of looking at spirituality now, and, and the, the feminine principle is much more accepting, much more open, uh, much less about obedience and more, much more about love, um, and it's much more ex- uh, inclusive, and and that's what she has said we we particularly you know, need today. She's very, uh, very reticent. In fact, she doesn't about ever sort of criticizing any, you know, any, uh, never ever other teachers. But she wouldn't comment on the spiritual uh, on the spiritual state of the world, uh, except to say that that the mother is here in several incarnations uh, for reasons to do with healing uh, and inclusiveness and moving away from and, and earth wisdom and, and earth connection uh, and ecology and, and moving away from the kind of legalistic uh, patriarchal um, exclusive rules-based uh, approach to to God which which turns a lot of people off and 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 she really is a she and others like her are they're they're all about opening their arms yeah and and that's if any, if we, and so asking what I think about it, that's precisely what we need you know, today. We're a closed, increasingly closed, polarized, um, frightened, um, and alienated uh, society. Speaking of the American society, there are many American societies. We're talking about contemporary culture, yeah. and we we need to have that unconditional sense of of, of 
acceptance and and love and being seen in that in that loving way it, it, that 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 milk of human kindness feeling is what we need in the world now and and so th- that's what that's what we get from from people like you know like like mother yeah. I wish myself that we didn't have to get all caught up into this gender thing about feminine, masculine, patriarchal religion. But the, we, the truth is, we have come out of two thousand years of Abrahamic plus of Abrahamic you know, religions, and and they've created a lot of problems. But I don't see it as I think the I see mother metaphor. I see the mother metaphorically. I don't see it. Um, I don't see it as really about gender. I think that men manifest the Divine Mother uh, as well. Yeah. And, and so it's not related to the, the parts of your body. It's, it's, about, it's about the quality of the way you're connecting with the world and, and the, the energy that you're putting into the world, and whether it's an inclusive energy, an intimate energy, uh, an energy that is forgiving, um, or is it, is it a punishing, angry God? And that we, God knows, that ain't what we what we need any more of now. Yeah, I think what comes up for me about that, and what I reflect on is, you know, as Rob, Rob mentioned, uh, the Gurdjieff work. Our own training was in something that more resembled the Gurdjieff work. It's not not a hundred percent or uh, foundation certified or anything like that. But <laughs> there's definitely a male element to that. Uh, practice in the sense that uh, there is a kind of a rigor, there's a practice, there's a tradition certainly with Gurdjieff of uh, making people very uncomfortable and it it is on the surface distinguished from just what you're describing. And so there's a part of me that sort of has this, this model of spiritual practice as uh, needing some sort of uh, like kick in the butt in order to um, uh, get past the inertia of the psychological uh, manifestation. But at the same time, you know, if I really reflect, and I see this actually reflected in uh, uh, your depiction of Mira, and that's that uh, a teacher who's really on uh, is ruthless to the ego, as it were, uh, but actually incredibly loving and generous and open and intimate with the essence or the uh, being behind that shell. And that certainly seems to be how she would operate and why it could be discombobulating for people until they kind of relaxed into it and then found found this uh, abiding peace with her. Yes, that's really well said. And, and it's true. She's not interested in personalities. She's not interested in people's egos except so far as she can kill them or you know split them open but um she you you feel an unconditional connection uh that isn't based on judgment that's not based on doing anything you don't have to do anything you have to be anything and for me that was the most healing thing of all because how much of our lives are spent feeling that we need to perform you you just mentioned uh, the Gurdjieffian or that kind of either a crazy, that crazy wisdom or whatever, the, the, the feeling of needing to be kicked in the butt, but life is kicking us in the butt all the time. So yeah. I don't need a teacher who's playing, you know, d- doing a lot of uh, head trips on me. I, life does plenty of head trips. So I want, I want a source of clarity and something that can lead me through 
the you know the the um, adversity and and the confusion and the fear and all the things that go or that a human life are about. So I mean, I understand that Gurdjieff did. I understand he used these these practices and other people do um, for people's benefit and that people learned a lot. I love the story about when uh, the one that nobody could stand left the left the the community. He went and gave him has him given money to come back right, because right. he was such a an, a great irritant and and so I, I love that. But that ain't that's just not Mother Mira's. Um, you know, that's not her. Uh, her vocabulary, it's not her approach. Yeah. Well, so um, one of the things that seems related to this um, aspect of, of uh, the feminine is uh, um, in your in your section in the book about um, Mother Mira's verbal suggestions, I guess is, uh, might be a word for it, is her discussion of family life. So, mm-hmm. she's, so she has this, uh, there's this thing, uh, quote, a quote from her, a calm and harmonious family is a great spiritual achievement, unquote. And, and, and so, and, and then you go on to write that uh, she v- used the decline of family life in the West as a reflection of our greater ills. So, so, so in one sense, it seems to me that, that, that this discussion um, can uh, point us toward the way in which our connection with each other um, is um, enhanced by creating family, and I don't. I don't necessarily, of course, mean just biological family. In fact, in the in different cultures in the ancient world, there were, there were um, habits of adoption, so that. Um, uh, it was, uh, relationships were not understood only in in biological terms uh, in the in the family, and I think that's a that's a helpful way to um, understand how we engender the um, the close connection between family. But I w- but I'm wondering if 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 you know of anything f- uh, further that Mother Mira had to say about that beyond this this short passage in in your book. She's a very traditional woman. Uh, she was raised in a very traditional culture, and this has been one of the obstacles for some people uh, when it comes to her cultural background. Although she's much more open and, and just aware of, of, than she was when she first started you know, being in the West, mm-hmm. um, she is a traditional, uh, rather. Cons- I mean, I, on the conservative side, I don't mean politically at all, but I'm a bit conservative in the sense of. Um, there's a, she. She doesn't like a lot of shows of stuff. She's she's just rather she's just very retiring, and that's that that's how she is. So, uh, so what, what was? I'm sorry. Tell me the question again. My mind. Well, basically, I, I was wondering if she, you know, her her understanding of the family, and I'm wondering if it oh, if it yeah, goes I'm simply sorry, beyond the biological. Yeah, I'm no, no. I actually, to be honest with you, Rob, I believe she's talking about a biological family and okay. the extended biological family. Okay. Uh, she, she, and and I, she wouldn't necessarily say that they couldn't be same sex or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, she uh, she's very traditional. She likes uh, she likes children. She likes the mother, the father. She's very. I mean, I suppose she could like them, the mother and the mother and the father and the father as well. But 
there is a cultural overlay. Yeah. And it, it has nothing to do with the with Darshan or what she does on a spiritual level, but when people ask her questions about the world, they sometimes get these answers that sound they sound like you know nineteen twenty nineteen twenty. You know, they're they're very, very simple, old fashioned way of looking at the world. And I honestly think that that when she talks about family, it's coming from there as much as anything else. Well, you, okay. you said you mentioned the um, uh, the notion of the uh, you know same sex relationships and how that figures there, which can be quite traditional by her <laughs> her lights in that sense. Uh, I will say that your book, um, I appreciated that you kind of took on the the whole Andrew Harvey uh, Mother Mira controversy, uh, and I, it's not that I want to give a lot of air to that except that I want to make it clear from the reading of that that when I when I heard that controversy years ago without knowing anything about Mother Mira I kind of in my mind just sort of checked a box saying yeah a, a guru uh, can't get beyond their cultural projections uh, you know yada 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 right and so I just want to bring it up here for anyone who's listening that you account for that uh and by my reading of it it sounds like that has more to do with the you know the the darshan and the spiritual interplay with uh, mira and andrew harvey and what what he may have needed to you know have some sort of drama about and get over that drama as you indicate in the book rather than it being any sort of reflection about how she projected a conservative view of society onto the people around her no no she uh, it was something uh, between her and andrew uh, they had a long very intense relationship uh and he there was something that needed to break in him uh that he has since admitted by the way that that to, that he knew there was something that needed to you know to give way and she um it, it, uh, there were miscommunications and 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 all of the things that go into making you know making a, a fallout like this happen. But as a gay man myself, knowing many gay people who have gone to uh, have Martha Mother Mira's darshan with never a, a hint of any kind of homophobia, bringing partners. Sometimes I brought my partner with me to India. You know, we were welcomed and and. So whatever happened with Andrew was about Andrew, yeah. and uh, I, I respect him very much, and I love him, and, and I wasn't in the room, so I don't know what he heard, but what I do know is the spirit was not what it was made out to be in any way, and I can't believe after all these years that people will still say to me sometimes, well, Mother Bureau, she's homophobic, isn't she? It's like, oh my God, I mean, the power of repeating a story, but right. for anyone hearing this, Mother Mira is absolutely not homophobic. The truth is, she's not that interested. When people want to talk about sexuality, she just doesn't want to talk about sexuality, whether it's straight or gay sexuality. It's just not her. It's not her. Right. It's not her. Uh, her wheelhouse. Yeah, and that, and that's what I, I I bring it up here because I just think I want to make sure that gets out there that that. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did. Because and was, I avoided it. By the way, I didn't want to write about it, and I turned in the first draft of the book. It I didn't even mention it except in a footnote, and my editor said, oh, it's too well-known, you need to put it in. So then I wrote that chapter afterwards. I, I didn't even want to put it in. You know? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, at, at one level, but it, it had to be there. Yeah. yeah. At, at one level, it it it, it it's uh, not that it's not that interesting acceptance so far as a lot of impressions uh, might have right. been created, and it's a, a opportunity simply to um, uh, undo that or allow people to have a more objective take on the situation. So just to just to finish up on on this general topic, I'm I'm wondering if you're, uh, it's it's not that you would disagree necessarily with Mother Mira about family life and stuff like that, but but you would you might configure it differently, um, uh, how how to how to create family, perhaps um, in a in a in our cultures where families are sort of uh, dissolving. In fact, that apparently Mother Mira herself. Because there's this sense that you have about uh, the decline of family life in the West, um, and um, while she might be calling for a return to the pre- to a to a conser- conservative idea of family, I'm wondering if if that's something that, without without making it a, into a difference that you would have with her, nevertheless you might not see it that way. Is that a, is that um, a oh, way to absolutely. put it? I don't. I, absolutely. I, 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 and I can't actually say what mother sees in terms. I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I think if there was love, if it was a group of people, biological, not biological, straight, then she's all for it. There's, there's no. She doesn't care. I mean, she, she just doesn't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's for for me. It really is about uh, about the loss of of non-biological community and not in a sense of belonging and fragmentation and the way virtual mm-hmm. reality has affected our lives and mm-hmm. the way secularism uh, affects our lives and just the fact that we live in such a terrifying time and in fear people withdraw you know in the best of times fear makes us withdraw well people are terrified now it's not even fear it's terror and so that's the degree of withdrawal uh, and, and, and disconnection you know, yeah. Virginia Woolf said, you know, we are dispersed. We're dispersed. Yeah. Well, we are. We we are dispersed. Uh, and most of we, we live in, in a global age. It's the shadow side of a global age is that you don't belong anywhere or you can feel that way. And that is behind, you know, a lot of people's pain and suffering. And uh, so in that sense, for me, that's what I think about. I think about chosen family more than biological family okay. uh, because I don't I don't have children. And, and but I certainly have a family of people who matter to me, who are like-minded people, and uh, Mother Mira would would, is, I'm sure would be absolutely thrilled to know that, I think. Yeah. Got it. Okay. It's also, you know, on the, the subject of the times we live in and the sense of, you know, kind of daily terror that we uh, create for ourselves, that... I was struck that uh, toward the end of the book that you describe her as really saying that humanity is going to be fine, you know, um, you know that, and that it really is about uh, love and acceptance, and had this very positive message that uh, seemed like you know she was uh, tuned into uh, a larger work about what was going on here, and uh, didn't want us to worry so much because things. Uh, are being taken care of. Did, did you get that sense from her? Yes, I do get that sense from her, and and I also sense that she understands that when we dwell on negative uh, outcomes, we behave in negative ways. We make choices that are fear-based. It's not it's not healthy. 
So what I heard her say once years ago in the, the public, the first time she ever gave an interview in the States, uh, and someone asked her about evil, and she said, it's not that evil isn't real, it's that you don't get messed up with it, basically, was she saying, because you can't, you can't defeat it. You know, what, what it'll do, it'll be, you know, it'll stick to you, it'll become a part of you. So it's not about ignoring it, it's about understanding that um, we can only work toward the good, and we can yeah. only give the love that we can, as much as we can possibly give, and be as, as, as helpful and good in the world as we possibly can be. And beyond that, it's out of our hands. And honestly, I think that's what she's saying. And I'm not saying we can't change carbon emissions, but overall, the mega, the meta, it is out of our hands. And so that's what I hear when she says that, is, is don't worry about the cosmic future. You know, uh, take care of your kids. You yeah. know, love God. You know, don't, you know, plant a garden. It's, it's very, very put, humble. Put solar way. panels on your roof. <laughs> put solar panels on your roof. She, 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 she doesn't, this is, Mother doesn't like a lot of abstract questions. Which is most of what we ask yeah. uh, as human beings. So it's just not interesting to her. It, it doesn't feel. It doesn't compel her. She's not a person of ideas. She doesn't want to sit in whatever the opposite of someone who wants to sit around and bad ideas. That's Mother Mira. She's just. She couldn't care less. Well, I think you just put your finger on on, on something about um, uh, one of the things that I picked up in reading your book uh, about her and your and and the the description of your own inner turmoil when you thought you weren't getting um, uh, attention from her in a way right. that she thought she had agreed to do or that you thought she had agreed to do and and so forth and and it's it's a it's a really interesting uh, kind of um, demonstration it seems to me of of this principle that you were just describing so if you're coming from a needy place she's not going to reinforce that and and that's 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 my experience with my teacher for example is mm-hmm. is like uh you know it just the attention is supposed to go is supposed to go elsewhere or is most profitably put elsewhere and that's um uh it seems to me the demonstration that is helpful along these lines that she's that she's offering yeah, I mean that's compassion. What you ask, what would love do? What is com- what would compassion do? Compassion would want you to be free. Compassion wouldn't indulge or enable your weaknesses or fears or insecurities. Compassion would want you to be free, and and that means not that means speaking to your strength, uh, and not speaking to your craziness. And and the craziness so, is kind of and the craziness is kind of that abstract thinking yeah. all too often. A lot of it is. It's <laughs> certainly exactly. Yeah, it's true. So, so that's what they do, because spiritual masters, people, they see the urgency of awakening. They see the urgency of moving through suffering. They see the, you know, they, they really see how serious, when, in, how serious our predicament is, and they, re- they really want to help people in extremis. You know? And so when they see us kind of diddling around with our, these thoughts, these abstractions, or doing things that are perpetuating our suffering... They use the sword of, of, of discernment, you know, the discrimination. They, they, they're there to liberate us, not to, you know, not to coddle us. And, and if she, you know, she were a coddler, I wouldn't be there. Honestly, I, I, it's, not my, it's not my flavor. You know, I, I want somebody who's going to be real with me. And I've just never seen her do anything that felt personality-driven, either coming from her or 
uh, toward the other. She under you know if people insist on her giving advice, which she doesn't want to do, but she'll say the most banal thing. You know, well, see, stay with her, or you know, try to love her, or but but she doesn't really. Yeah, she's. It feels like she's. Uh, not engaged on it, that actually, level at all. It actually is funny when you, in the uh, end of the book, you're describing a, you finally got the big interview with her, and mm-hmm. you ask her all these questions, and it's just like it's a non, non-event, because it's like she's not interested in the questions. No, no. No, but the fact that she was that she made herself available was plenty. Yeah, that was no. no, no it, she's not interested in the questions. No, it was just funny because it was kind of yeah. like uh, it was a good reflection of like uh, my mind asking it. Well, what about this? What about I mean, what do you think of this? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I once went uh, to interview her for a magazine many years ago in the nineties, and we were up at her apartment with Adi Lakshmi, who's her side, her her, her other guardian. She was her other guardian. And uh, there was a fire in the fireplace. It was snowing. And anyway, I went up with all these questions, and I, I, it was just the three of us. And I went to open my mouth to ask a question, and I'm telling you, it was like my brain melted. I, it just, I couldn't speak. And we sat there, the three of us, utterly silent for what it could have been five minutes. It was, a very, it was longer than I had sat silently with anybody in my life. And, and when she was over, it was just passed, and we felt normal again. But I didn't need to ask any questions, so it was she had sort of just taken the questions away. Maybe she wasn't in the mood. <laughs> I'm I'm reminded of uh, 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 stories I've heard and read about uh, uh, you know uh, white Americans encountering um, Native Americans in the 19th century, where you just sit. That's it. You might pass around a pipe or something like that, but uh, you know it would go on and on and on. But in that sitting, um, there would be movement of energy, which which then leads me to to turn back to some of the stuff that was coming up at the beginning of your description of um, Mother Mira's life, which is, um, you know, Mr. Reddy uh, had uh, she was she was telling him, I guess. Um, about these visions and connections and conversations in realms that um, are not visible on this material plane, um, and at least that's that's my understanding. So, um, and that would include stuff like uh, you know uh, connections with Aurobindo and and so forth and yet it wasn't uh, one one never gets one or at least I didn't get from your description in the book that it's like discussing philosophy with Aurobindo on some etheric plane it's about um some other kind of exchange of energy yeah um, exactly that's what it was it was something like some kind of a transmission mm-hmm. uh, at one point the um Aurobindo's uh, consort, who was called Sweet Mother, she hands her Mother Mira. I think it's a gold rose, and then she. So it's all it's all happening in, a, in on the symbolic level. Um, right. But uh, it, it's um, it is it's a tra- it's a transfer. It, it seemed like a transmission of energy, uh, and the way she described it, and the way she describes the other beings that came to her in those experiences. Uh, they're teaching her things. They're telling her things. They have messages. Um, 
and a lot, and it comes through the terminology of of her Hindu background. So, so see, I think mm-hmm. had she not been born in, in in India into a Hindu, she might not be you know dreaming about Durga and this. She might see she might see Mother Mary or something. But mm-hmm. um, there, it's an education that happened for her uh, on a you know on a subtle level, uh, and none of it ever kind of you know planned or even understood by her. But when I saw her. The last when I uh, did that interview at the end of the book, I did ask her if the kinds of kinds of experiences uh, are continuing today, and she said yes. So, but but she's never talked about it to anybody, Mister Reddy, and she knows that we seize onto this stuff and get so fascinated with it that we forget what it's what she's really doing here. It's not we get so hung up on the on the pyrotechnics of things or the mythology and. Um, I understand the fascination with it, but it's, it, it really is a distraction. Well, uh, uh, the, the so one she doesn't want it, and it just and it engages the imagination. The, she thinks it's, it's, uh, the mind uh, gets in the way. Oh, I, told, I uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And yet, I want to make the point that um, this uh, sense of I don't know if optimism is the right word that you were describing about how it, you know the human species is not going to uh, be wiped out or something like that by all these. Um, the, but the terrible problems in many ways that, that we're facing. Nevertheless, um, uh, it's from that realm, it's from that place that she can um, that she can see a way of being and a way of moving forward that is, I'm, I'm presuming, um, that um, that doesn't have to dwell in the um, in the swamp of our fears. I mean that's one that's one way of looking at it, uh, and another way of looking at it is she's telling us that no matter basically no matter what happens we're we're fine, and uh, so from her perspective even dying we would be fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's never sure. anything wrong happening. Mm-hmm. So this idea that we're going to be saved or I, I I can't presume to know what our what she's saying our future w- will be like. What she's saying is that from the divine perspective. Nothing wrong is happening, and mm-hmm. that whatever happens, we will be we will be okay, and and that would include dropping the body. I would think it better, or we're we're, we're all in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, or <laughs> we won't have much to worry about. <laughs> but uh, yeah, one thing I wanted to uh, touch on, going back to the question of her work on, in this realm. Um, and the, what is happening with Darshan? You speak about the energy that she's a um, transmission for. I think it's the uh, Paramapan, uh, the spiritual light, and that she had a very particular. There's a, like she's a particular transmission, and her job is to transmit that uh, into this uh, world. Uh, can you speak a little bit more about that? I, I'm just interested in how you see that and how that figured for you and your relationship with her. Sure, and for me, this, talking about Paramatman light is a little bit like talking about avatars because I, I don't, I can't, I can't speak from any personal experience. But Paramatman just means the highest God. That's what that means. So she is apparently bringing, channeling, and using some kind of divine energy uh, in her darshan that uh, awakens uh, and heals, uh, and she describes it with. It's really almost it's like a, almost a scientific clarity. It's in the book. I, I couldn't 
couldn't tell you offhand, but it has to do with lines on the back of the body that go, and there are little knots in in the lines that when she's holding your head, she's undoing those knots. Uh, and then when she looks into your eyes, she's looking into the personality and seeing where she can be be of help. Um, that's what she talks about. But the experiences that she describes of, or she described to Mr. Reddy about when the Paramahama light first hit her are pretty scary. And she would be struck down and she'd be in terrible pain and she was they'd go on 16 18 hours and uh, she'd feel like there was there were like uh, ants ants of fire crawling in through her feet i mean just really it's kind of kind of awful but then once she went through all of this she'd hear thunderclaps and go into different state different she'd sort of go unconscious but when it passed she was she was peaceful and calm and, and well so whatever happened uh, you know, it, it was violent, but she may, it, it was, it was, it was done. So yeah. as far as I know, she doesn't suffer from, suffer from that now. <laughs> but uh, this, this light, um, this frequency, she, she said is her particular work that she's doing. And, uh, I take her word for it. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I, huh. I, I, I don't know, uh, you know, I, I I take her word for it. That's that's what I would say. Well, the other the other factor that uh, you you do pe- nicely in the book is when you interview the people who hung around her along. You know, some of the people who lived with her for years, and what their experience is, without them being the authors of their actions, there was clearly a transformation that everyone felt in different ways that this peace, this energy infused their lives and transformed their lives and transformed the people around them. Like s- several people talked about their parents and, uh, you know, uh, being healed in a way, a remarkable way that uh, just by almost peripheral contact. And it, it kind of speaks back to what you were saying about what happens in this town in Germany, that the presence of this energy has a... Uh, uh, demonstrable uh, qualitative effect on the humans around and their lives brighten, their their lives lighten. And that in itself is a remarkable testimony. Yeah, it, it, it's an amazing thing. And you see it, you see it spread. Uh, it, I mean, we know that emotions are contagious, just from, we know from, you know, from neuroscience. And um, the woman you're talking about, it was an extraordinary story because she had uh, some Nazi in her, Nazi, Nazism in her family, and there was a lot of bitterness. Father was an alcoholic, and she just started, she, she started to go see Mother Mary, and when she would come home, they'd notice that she seemed different. She, and perhaps she was more open, softer, more loving, um, and it eventually seeped into her parents, and her father, before he died, she, she'd never seen him so happy uh, as, he, as he was before before she died, and, and toward the end of her life, her mother asked to be taken to live near Mother Mira. Um, so it was when when you smell it or sense sense that 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 perfume on somebody, you want to know where it came from. <laughs> when you see somebody so happy, yeah. uh, or you see the, the a real transformation, you're curious and you want to know how how it happened, and that's how it spreads. Yeah. Yeah, and the transformation of. The most hardened hearts is is some of the most beautiful testimony in uh, spiritual literature, particularly, and it comes up in, in that that story especially. Yes. So, and you're right. It is. It's always the it's the hard ones. It's the 
the malcontents or the the milarepas, the murderers, or it's when they're transformed that that you really yeah. have that have that revelation feeling. So uh, we're getting uh, toward the end of our time. I wanted to kind of turn this back to uh, your story again. Um, uh, Mira's, um, I think, uh, you know, in her late fifties, so she's going strong for quite a while. Um, how do you see your your relationship with her? As it moves forward, how does she figure for you as a uh, a um, touchstone in your own spiritual path? She's what she's always been for me. I, the relationship I have with her is internal, and I see her when I can, but it's not often. And I don't need to see her. I don't need to be with her. It, it's an inner relationship uh, that doesn't change. You know, I, it can be ten years. It has been ten years once before between sightings and she was the same you know when, when when she walked in i felt the same way and so it's a relief to feel like i don't have to keep up a relationship or you know or, or you know keep up any kind of devotee status uh you're welcome whenever you come and and she doesn't encourage people to go and stay you know she wants people to come when they need her and to have a you know have, have darshan and then go back and live their lives and and love god so she's there for people from all 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 religions. I've seen all I've seen rabbis. I've seen priests. I've seen imams. I have darshan. It's completely non-denominational. And so for me, she she is a um, a reminder. She was my first love, you could say. I mean, she she was on a spiritual path. She was the one who really opened my eyes, and she has never not amazed me i mean over all these years and i am a i'm I, like i said i'm a quite skeptical person and i have an eagle eye and i've watched for fakery i've watched for something that would just say oh and and i've never ever ever seen it and so that's that's what's extraordinary and thank god there are these people these beings as to be as to be beacons for us because a lot of us with our hard heads and our closed down hearts would not would not uh be able to go there otherwise I think that's why they show up to 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 uh, to say you know to ye of little faith. Look, here I am, and and most people still don't believe. So we're 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 a tough we're a tough nut to crack. <laughs> so uh, thank so thank you for that. Uh, you've described yourself as essentially being allergic to devotion. I think um, <laughs> it would be a way to put it. Um, and yet I can't help but wonder if writing this book was not an act of devotion. Comment, please. It was, Rob. It, it absolutely was. And I wouldn't say I'm not a person of devotion. My devotion isn't... It's not a... Um, I don't go through a lot of emotions of devotion, but inwardly I, I'm profoundly devoted in, in the sense of, of, of gratitude. I think devotion is gratitude mm -hmm. at, at its heart, and, and I'm profoundly grateful to okay. her. Um, and so I do have devotion toward her, but mm -hmm. I don't have obedience. I don't have, you know, I don't have, um, I don't keep myself on any kind of a guilt story about needing to see her every, this much. And if I don't, I'm a bad disciple. I'm, I'm not a disciple. I just, I, I love her. I love her. And, and, and every, and the other thing, and this is the last thing I would say is that uh, you, all of your old guilt, neurotic guilt patterns come up and you, you and I get projected onto the teachers so thinking like they care if they don't see you, you know, or their feelings are hurt. And you really see there's all this transference and projection. 
that is just absurd. You know, she doesn't care if I don't come, and she's happy to see me or, or not. I don't know if she is or not when I do, uh, and, and that, that's just the way I like it. You know. Got it. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so um, this is the time in the show when we uh, invite uh, guests to uh, let people know how um, how they might uh, contact you or in in your in this case with the book um, get in touch with Mother Mira's uh, the the people around her um, uh, and I guess as you said she's a she's a peripatetic at this point continent wise etc so um so uh, give us some contact information of course we'll put that on the website with this uh um with the link to this interview sure uh well i'll start with mother mira first uh there is a quite good website now on which folks can get her schedule and make uh reservations for for darshan um, and that's very easy to find. Just 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 type Mother Mira into into your search engine, and that will come up. Uh, and she's like like you're saying, she she travels now. She didn't travel for years, but now she does. Uh, and so people have the opportunity to see her. So go to I believe it may be MotherMira.org, um, but you'll find you'll find her website. And as for myself. Uh, People can write to me through my website, which is M-A-R-K-M-A-T-O-U-S-E-K, markmatusik.com, and also through theseekersforum.com. I have an online uh, spiritual uh, talk group uh, called The Seekers Forum. So through theseekersforum.com, people are welcome to uh, come and join us, and and, uh, we have a really great community. and on a very interesting ongoing conversation for people who are looking for you know, spiritual spiritual connection. Uh, so those are the two ways that people can reach me, and um, I would uh, I'm, I'm always happy to hear from folks. So if anyone listening to this would like to reach out to me through my website, I will uh, answer your email. I'm, I'm very happy to be in dialogue. Excellent. Well, we really appreciate the conversation uh, the, uh, this evening. It's uh, been great. We pre- uh, your your clarity and your uh, uh, just your discussion style have been uh, really uh, fun to engage with. Yes, and so thank you for this dialogue. You're more than welcome, guys. Thank you. It's great to talk to you. All right. Well, ditto. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You have been listening to The Mystical Positivist. This is your host, Stuart Goodnick. This week on the show, Rob and I have been speaking by telephone with Mark Matusek, author of the recent book, Mother of the Unseen World, The Mystery of Mother Mira. He is the author of two acclaimed memoirs, Sex, Death, Enlightenment, and The Boy He Left Behind, as well as When You're Falling, Dive, Lessons in the Art of Living, and Ethical Wisdom, The Search for a Moral Life a former editor at Interview Magazine. He is a featured blogger for PsychologyToday.com and HuffPost and has contributed work to many well-known periodicals. Next week on The Mystical Positivist, we broadcast a conversation with fourth-way practitioner Trevor Stewart to be pre-recorded via the Zoom app on September 22, 2019. Trevor is a student of psychology, meditation, and the Gurdjieff work. As a young adult, he worked with Buddhist teachers, practicing in an intensive monastic setting for two years. Trevor has studied Beelzebub's tales intensively, employing textual, historical, and grammatical criticism, and has authored papers at the All and Everything Conference and in other venues. 
a member of Two Rivers Farm in Oregon. He has worked with the Gurdjieff movements in both America and Europe, and is is an and he's an amateur pianist who studies the Gurdjieff de Hartmann music. In daily life, Trevor runs a design and build construction firm based in Portland, Oregon. Tune in for that show with Trevor Stewart on Saturday, September 28th from 4 to 6 p.m. Upcoming on the spiritual calendar in Sonoma County at the Thursdays at Many Rivers event in Sebastopol, we have Dharma for Personal Awakening and Social Change. That's with my Trey Nolan, author for... Dharma for Personal Awakening and Social Change. Uh, that's going to be Thursday, September 26th at 7 p.m. For those of you used to the Thursdays at Many Rivers series, normally it starts at 7.30 p.m. However, this week, uh, September 26th, it will be 7 p.m. Dharma for Personal Awakening and Social Change is a collection of discourses on Dharma that tap into a deep flow of divine wisdom. These talks explore Dharma from a yogic perspective, giving insight into the nature of Dharma and the different types of Dharma that play out both personally, collectively, and socially as we learn to move in harmony with our own essential nature and with the nature of the universe. The discourses in this work are given by Maitreyi Ma, in a deep state of connection to the divine called Bhava. They are not from the intellect, but are an intuitive flow of wisdom from a deeper level of being. So please come to this opening event and hear some of this valuable knowledge that has flowed from spirit to voice to the written word. Maitreyi Ma, also known as Dr. Nolan, is a licensed psychologist with a doctorate in transpersonal psychology, a teacher of yogic philosophy and ancient wisdom, an ERYT 500 yoga teacher, and an ordained yogic minister, or acharya. Maitreyi Ma is currently the president of Ananda Guru Kula, a nonprofit organization dedicated to spreading the wisdom teachings of yoga and a psychologist in private practice. She is also a spiritual director of Ananda Kamalaya Ashram, where she offers ongoing training in meditation, yoga philosophy, and regular weekly and monthly events and yearly retreats. Her website is maitreyima.org. This is the, uh, the coming out party for her new book. Thank you for joining us once again for the Mystical Positivist. Podcasts of all our shows can be found at www.mysticalpositivist.blogspot.com as well as commentary and discussion of topics of interest to the show. Also, please send comments and feedback to mysticalpositivist at gmail.com and join us again next Saturday. Leave you with music from a CD called Baroque Cello Illuminations, Angela East and Ruth Alford Cellists, and Howard Beach on Harpsichord. This piece is the Alamond from Bach Suite Number no. 1 in G Major, BW the 1007 enjoy Thank you. 